0: The following audio is from Redemption Church. More information about our church can be found at www.redemptionchurchlacombe.org. Thank you, John. Church family, take your copy of God's Word. Let's study it together. Ephesians chapter 3 is our beginning text this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, this has been our landing book. ...for our times of studying in this series, the Holy Spirit, the power at work within us. And as you're turning there, let me just also draw your attention as a reminder to two teachings that we have begun this past Wednesday night. Uh, John Nagaris, our family member care pastor, has started How to Study Your Bible, one of our discipleship map classes. And I have started the book of Revelation as well. So you have two choices on Wednesday night. That's the adult classes, our students and children and preschoolers have their own teachings that they are doing. But if you have not... Gotten to be here last week as the intro. Let me encourage you to be here this coming week so you can participate with us as well. I want to recap where we have been. If you have been with us, to remind you, if you are new today, to inform you kind of where we've been in regards to the Holy Spirit's teaching that I have been doing for the past three weeks. The heart behind this is that we, as believers, would fully understand that the one who lives in believers gives us much power. And so three weeks ago, we looked at this couple of questions, who gives the power? And we saw that God alone is the one who gives the power. And looking at that, what we understood by that is that we do not just conjure up trying to be better and stronger in ourselves, that God is the one who gives that power. The second question is, who gets the power? And that is all believers at the moment of their conversion, that they believe in Christ, they are given The indwelling power of the Spirit. The third thing we talked about is that the Holy Spirit is fully God. And when I gave that to you three weeks ago, I said we're going to unpack that at greater extent. And today is the day that we're going to unpack that truth. And we'll deal with that then. Fourthly, we talked about our walks with the Lord. Either enables the Spirit's power or quenches the Spirit's power. Either we can be in parallel with the Spirit or we can be in perpendicular activity to the Spirit and we limit His power. The past two weeks, since we are told that we have the Spirit, we are told in Ephesians 5 that we are to be pursuing, to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so we looked at this very practically then the past two weeks, and well, then how do we. How can we be filled with the Spirit of God? And I challenge you to understand that this is not an illustration where we have a picture and that we didn't get enough of God to begin with and so He has to give us more of Him. He gives us fully God when we are saved. The illustration I tried to give you is more about filling out of our lives of the Spirit's power in all that we do. This is not seeking emotionalism. This is not just seeking an experience, but seeking the ruling and reigning of the Spirit in our lives. We talk about the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God means God is the one who rules and reigns, and the Spirit in our lives, the one that we're allowing Him to be in our lives, when we're saying we're filled with the Spirit of God, we want Him to rule every area of our life. That's what we're meaning, to be filled with the Spirit of God. We could equate this with sanctification in our walks with God, that we're growing in our walk with God, that God is revealing sin, that we're getting... Rid of that we're crushing and we're allowing the spirit to rule and reign so this is the five practical steps one is we pray for the holy spirit to fill us we saw that in ephesians 3 where paul was praying that for them say god god fill me with your spirit today so we'll say, say well, why don't we pray for that if we have the holy spirit and i just return that question back to you do you have the spirit ruling and reigning over every area of your life at all times 100 percent it's praying, God, fill me in every aspect of my life, that what I'm doing. Two, we need to walk in the Spirit. That's connected to that first one as well, that walking with the Spirit enables the Spirit's power to be released in us as well. Thirdly, we talked about growing in the knowledge of this Word because it is the Spirit's anointed Word. As we grow in it, it's in us. The more that we fill ourselves with this, the more that we're full of the Spirit of God. Then we talked about believing the Word. We, I showed you last week. According to the Word of God, that as we believe and as we're trusting in the Word of God, the Spirit's power comes in us as well. And lastly, we talked about seeking the glory of God and Jesus above all things. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. His role is to bring God and Jesus glory. And if we're walking in connection with that, then the Holy Spirit's power is filling us. That's another one that we're going to unpack at another time to get more extensive understanding of that particular truth. Today we come to the topic that we have here, and I want to talk to us about the abundant power of the Spirit's power in us. Certainly I've kind of laid some groundwork for us in regards to the fact that we have the Holy Spirit, we can pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us. But what I want us to understand is that as we talk about this, there is not a limit to the power that is within us, As believers, I'm going to say it to you this way. There is nothing wrong with the source of power. But there can be something wrong with us and our understanding of the source of power. Everybody understand me? There's nothing wrong with the source, but it can be wrong with our understanding of the source of power. And the way by which I want to present this to you is this. This is going to be a little doctrinal heavy in nature to demonstrate to you today through multiple scriptures that the Holy Spirit who is in us is not just a force like some people refer to him like the wind. That is a degrading, heretical understanding of the Holy Spirit. But it's important for us to understand that when we're talking about the Holy Spirit... We're not talking about subordination, meaning that He's lower than God the Father, that He's lower than God the Son. But we're clearly understanding that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are equal in their divinity. We just sang, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, Blessed Trinity. Now that word Trinity. We don't see that word in the scriptures, but the truth of that reality of the divine Godhead is true throughout all of scripture. And today what I want to show you from scripture, multiple passages, is to show you that the Holy Spirit is indeed God himself. Because if we do not understand this truth, then we have an ignorance of To the power that we have. I go back to the truth that I said. The power issue is not the source. But it's our understanding of that power. If you have an understanding of the Holy Spirit as less than God, then you are limited because of your ignorance of who He is. And so, therefore, the way you pray is affected by that. The way you live is affected by that. But what I want to encourage you today maybe you understood and maybe you even hold to that belief, but you say, I don't have a problem believing the Holy Spirit is God, then I challenge you to say, well, can you prove that from the Scriptures that He is God? Do we live that way also? Do we live fully believing, acting upon the Holy Spirit as God? Because what we believe affects how we pray. What we believe affects how we live. So today I want to show you... Some examples, I'm going to show you seven different biblical examples of the Holy Spirit clearly seen as called God or that is equal to the character and the nature that God also holds Himself. So this is what I want you to get. I'm going to show you that the Holy Spirit is undeniable God. And here's what I want you to get. Because if He is God, and starting with the first truth that I gave you three weeks ago that who gets the Spirit's power? Every person who believes. And if every person gets the Holy Spirit when we believe, then that means, if the Holy Spirit is God, then that means we get God in us. We have this idea that we hold to of the greatness of God, and sometimes we hold to the greatness of Jesus, but In our activity, our belief, and our thinking, we place the Holy Spirit here. But He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when you read in Scripture that it's God Almighty, it's Jesus Almighty, it's Holy Spirit Almighty. It's not God Almighty, Jesus second tier, Holy Spirit third tier. I want you to get this this morning. So when we're saying that the Holy Spirit is in us, I want you to realize that there is abundant power in Him. The purpose of the power is so you have strength to live for Christ and you have power to crush sin. Those two things are at odds with each other at all times. The spirits and the flesh are at war all the time. Amen? And so today we're going to hopefully unpack this teaching. This teaching has been a teaching that has been under the attack of the enemy for years. I'll give you a little history lesson, then we're going to jump into this text. In the fourth century, there was a council called Nicaea in 325. And during this fourth century, the divinity of Jesus and the Holy Spirit were being doubted and questioned and blatantly denied. And so there was a debate at this Council of Nicaea, was Jesus actually created, was he actually divine, or was the Holy Spirit not actually God? And there was this man, young man, named Athanasius, who came and spoke boldly to this council and stood firm on the scriptures and said... Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and God is God. There was grutch debate, and then there was some who actually came to Athanasius, and they said these words, Athanasius, the whole world is against you in this. His response was, all right, then I'm against the whole world. That's a man. He stood, he fought, and therefore what became known as the Athanasian Creed was founded. You can look it up. Athanasian Creed, and it is lengthy. And he uses the word Catholic Church in there. He's using it in regards to the word Catholic in a universal term, not necessarily the group of the Catholic Church that many of you think when you think about that term. And it is an exposition in regards to recountless over and over, saying God is Almighty, Jesus is Almighty, Holy Spirit is Almighty. They are equal. It's a potent power. I almost just read the whole thing to you this morning, but... I just want to challenge you to go and do it yourself. So today, I want to show you seven biblical examples. We'll move through them quickly for the sake of our time. And with each one of these, I'm going to ask the question, why does this particular scripture and truth matter? This is not just to have an academic lesson for you this morning. It's just to help you. You should always be asking the question, why does this truth matter? How does this apply to me? And so since we've been in the book of Ephesians, that's where we're going to start this morning. So you can see three examples just in this one book. And I'm just wetting the appetite for you. So let me just invite you to something that's going to be happening in April. April 19th, mark your calendar. Friday night, April 19th, will be our first basic Christian Doctrine 1 class. We'll have a meal, we'll have worship, and then you're going to sit behind a jet engine of truth that we're going to be unpacking the doctrine of God's Word and the doctrine of God at great extent. It'll be a lengthy evening. We'll probably go from like 6 to 10. and It will be just rocketing, just giving you truths to help you to be founded and understanding why this Word is trustworthy. And we'll be unpacking the Scriptures of why God is God, why Jesus is God, and why the Holy Spirit is God. For me to just do it in one sermon is simply a great challenge. But nevertheless, I want you to see... That there is clear truth in the Scripture. This is important to understand because if you have a conversation with Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or someone who comes from the Oneness Pentecostal background, they deny these truths. And it's important that you understand that who you are serving, who you are bowing to, clearly is none other than God. So let me just, without further ado, let's jump into the first one. We're going to see the power first, first and then I want to show you this first truth. The power that we've been talking about is in chapter 3, verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Now, what power are we referring to? If you go back up to verses 16, you will see clearly that Paul is saying that the power is through his who? Okay, we're going to participate this morning. In verse 16, it says the power is through who? His Spirit. And so the power at work within us is the Spirit of God. Now, the first truth that I want you to see clearly that the Holy Spirit is God is because Paul says the Holy Spirit is one. With God and Jesus. I gave this one to you quickly a few weeks ago, but look with me now to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at verses 4 through 6. We're going to move quickly today, so I encourage you to have your Bible ready, your notebook ready. Remember, my heart as your pastor is not that you're just a receiver, but that you would be a what? A reproducer of the truth of God. Verses 4 says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So you see there, if you need to underline it, one spirit, one Lord, one God. The word Lord there is referring to Jesus. Why is this so important? If you're not here three weeks ago, why this is significant is because the word one that is used there is not the Greek word monos, which would mean one separate and individual, but the word ain or ace, which means it's one of distinctiveness, but yet one of unity. Paul is choosing to use a word to describe the Trinity of God that we see the distinction between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but yet there is harmonious unity. It would make no sense if they were all individual and could not relate because the very argument that Paul is given in Ephesians chapter 4, if you look back at verse 3, he says, be eager to maintain what? Unity of the Spirit in the body of Of peace, Meaning unity among us, our model and example of getting along with people and loving people and being kind to people is the example of the Trinity himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Work in harmonious unity. You and I just cannot fathom this great mystery. I think the reason why oftentimes this doctrine gets denied is because we can't comprehend it. But we can't comprehend the expansiveness of the universe either, can we? No telescope can see the farthest reach that the universe goes, and yet we try to put God in our eight pound brain and think that we've got Him. We understand in this passage of Scripture clear the Holy Spirit is seen, He's equal to God and Jesus. Now, the question is here's the question I'm going to give you with each one is why does this matter? This truth matters because if Paul is telling us that there's one Spirit, one Lord, and one God, and that means it's not one Father, one Jesus, one Holy Spirit, but it's one God, one Jesus, one Holy Spirit. They are equal, which means, back to Ephesians 3, when Paul says, you have the Holy Spirit's power in you, then that means the character and the power that you see of God in the scriptures, the character and nature that you see of Jesus in the scriptures is the power of God that's available in the spirit who is in us. It's not less. But I think sometimes we live and we act and we pray as if it's less. It's important that we understand the Holy Spirit is one. Let me move on. Number two, not just the Holy Spirit is one. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Ephesians 4.30, you say, how does this prove that the Holy Spirit is God? Look at Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You say, how does it prove that the Holy Spirit is God if the Holy Spirit can be grieved? Well, listen closely. If the Holy Spirit was a force, you can't grieve a force. Can you grieve the wind? You can divert the wind, but you can't grieve the wind. Grieving means that there's an emotional aspect that's attached to that element. You say, well, do we see this characteristic of God? Yes. Let me give you a scripture. We won't turn there, but let me just encourage you to write this down. Because again, what I'm saying to you is the characteristics that we see of God and Jesus. And we'll see that in the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 through 6, I will summarize it for you. Genesis chapter 6, the morality of the world had declined greatly. God looks upon the face of the earth and the scripture says he was sorry that he made man because of the sinfulness of humanity. This is what the text says. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart's. What did God do as a result of that in Genesis chapter 6? He sent a flood and there was a righteous man named Noah who built an ark. And it took him about a year to build it. And he was a herald of righteousness because God had been grieved in regards to the sinfulness of man. You have Ephesians 4.30... What we have here is if the Holy Spirit is in you, the reason why when you sin or a thought of sin comes and there's conviction is because you're grieving the Spirit of God. It's contrary to the nature of God. Why does this matter? Because the way we live as believers matters to the character and the holiness of God. You can't just say, well... I have the Holy Spirit in me, I can live the way I want to. If God is in us, then the character of God is going to rise up and is going to give checks to our actions before they happen or after they happen because it grieves Him when we're living contrary to the nature of God. So when you... Feel those promptings. Feel those convictions. Don't think it's just because you ate a banana before you went to bed. It is because God is in you. And He is working. He's stirring. He wants us. This goes back to what I said that we'll have to unpack again later. Is The Holy Spirit's purpose is to bring glory to God. And our sin grieves the Spirit because the Spirit is saying to us that action, that reaction, that thought is not going to bring Him glory. So the Holy Spirit is seen as God much just what we saw in Genesis 6. Number three, we are commanded to be full of the Spirit in the same way we are commanded to be filled with the fullness of God and the fullness of Jesus. Look in this passage of Scripture. I showed this to you a couple of weeks ago, but notice in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 19, Paul's prayer is that they would to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, this is 3.19, that you may be filled with the fullness of who? Try it again. The fullness of who? God. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, we'll go back to verse 11, and notice what Paul says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of who? Christ, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Then Paul tells us, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the who? Now I ask you the question, does it make sense if the Spirit is not God, that Paul would actually equate this in the same way. Be filled with the fullness of God. Be filled with the fullness of, the, of Christ. And be filled with the fullness of the Spirit. So let me just ask this question. Would it make sense if it says, Hey, I want you to be full of God, full of Jesus, and full of the wind. That makes sense, does it? In the same way, would we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Archangel Michael. Why would we not do that? Because the wind and Archangel Michael are not God. And so Paul is saying in this prayer that he is saying to be filled with the spirit of God is to be filled with the fullness of God. To be filled with the spirit is to be filled with the fullness of Christ. Do you understand? So if you say, I want to be like God. Yes. Or do you want to be like Jesus? Yes. Or do you want to be like the spirit? Yes, okay, you, you, you're getting it, understand that. So when we're looking at the scripture, so I want to make this not so difficult. We're saying, fill me with the spirit of God. What we're saying is, God, fill me with your character, your attributes, the way you live, the way you act, the way you react, that's what we want. That's why when you have passages of scripture, look down to Ephesians chapter five. This is not on the screen, but just pointed out to you. When Paul says, therefore be imitators of God. When we see those passages of Scripture, we don't have to dissect the Trinity and say, well, is he talking about God here? Is he talking about Jesus here? Is he talking about the Holy Spirit here? We're filled with the fullness of God. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And so that's why we pray for this. That's why we study the Scriptures. That's why we're walking in these things. That's why we're doing all that we can in our aspect. But remember, God is the one who gives the fullness to us. So he's praying this way. It's important for us to understand, much like the first one, if we're commanded to be full of God, full of Christ, and full of the Holy Spirit, then this means then that what we're saying here is that God is the same power as Christ's power, the Holy Spirit's power, that's the power in us. Remember, in Galatians 5, just one book prior to this, you can write this one down as well, in chapter 5, verses 16, and the rest of that paragraph, it's where Paul says to us, that if we, we should not walk in the flesh, but we should walk in the Spirit, and if we're walking in the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh, and if we're walking in the Spirit of God, you then will have the fruits of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. So I ask you the question, are those fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of God? Is God loving? Is God joyful? Is God patient? Praise God. Is he merciful? Is he gentle? Is he kind? Is he long-suffering? So is it a fruit of the Spirit or is it a fruit of God? Yes. This is one of those beautiful yes-yes questions. And that's why... Well, just just turn to Galatians 5. Just two pages over in your Bible, probably. I just want you to see this. I want you to see very clearly... In this, as you walk this, that you'll see closely what Paul is equating to walking with the Spirit with walking with Christ. It's not this, this wrestling match for him. He uses this almost interchangeably. Galatians 5, verse 16, But I say, walk by the who? By the Spirit. And then, look down to verse 24, and he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He just finished a paragraph saying, Walk in the Spirit, don't walk in the flesh, And then he says, but then if we're walking with Christ. So we see Paul equates these two elements the same. So clearly, very much, we're commanded to be full of the Spirit. Number four, let's move on. We're looking clearly that we saw the Holy Spirit as one. And we see the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And we're seeing that we're commanded to be full of the Spirit, just like full of God, full of Jesus. Number four, man, this one is so good. The Holy Spirit is in the temple Just like God's glory filled the tabernacle in Exodus 40 and how his glory filled the temple in 1 Kings 8. Listen closely. I know that one's long. The temple word that I'm using there in number four. Some of you are thinking, what, what temple? Which building is he talking about? No, no. The Bible says that we become the temple of God. So listen closely. In the Old Testament, you need to understand the Old Testament storyline to get this beautiful picture. In Exodus 40, God had given great detail to Moses for the tabernacle that had to be built. So tabernacle, think more of like a permanent kind of tent structure. And after they did all of the building of the tabernacle... And building the holy place and the most holy place, the holy of holies, when they finished it in Exodus chapter 40, it tells us that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon builds the temple. It becomes the permanent structure for the presence of God. And after Solomon had done all that God had given him as instructions... Remember, his father David longed to build the temple. But God told him he was not going to be able to do so because he was a man of war. Solomon builds a temple. And 1 Kings chapter 8 tells us that after everything was done... The sacrifices were made. It says that the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Here's the similarities. The glory filled the tabernacle... The glory of God filled the temple. And then in the New Testament, God equates the Spirit of God with the glory of God living in us. 1 Corinthians, turn there with me, chapter 3. We're going to be just moving backward to the left. I have designed this such that all you've got to do is go left. Keep you from flipping back and forth. But there's this beautiful thing in most of your Bibles called a table of contents if you need it. 1 Corinthians 3. What I want you to see clearly is that God shows that the Spirit of God is considered the same glory that God dwelt the tabernacle and the temple. The reason why I'm saying this to you, proving this to you, is that the Holy Spirit, again, who is in you, is none other than God. Let's read this text, 1 Corinthians 3. Let's read verses 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple. Who is the you referring to? It's those who are believers, those who have placed faith in Christ. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you. You say, well, he didn't say anything about the glory that's there. Listen to me. Paul is making the connection here with the Old Testament beautiful truth that God's presence, His glory, filled the temple. So when you get to the New Testament and the promise of Christ and His resurrection, what he's not saying is God's just going to put His force in you. He's putting Himself in you. His glory in you. He's chosen. This is the beauty of what Christ's death, resurrection is accomplishing. It's what Jeremiah talks about when he says there's going to be a new covenant that he's going to write upon his heart of his people. The presence of God lives, lives in us. You are walking temples, church. You and I are. That's why I go to verse chapter 6, excuse me, verses 19 and 20, and Paul. Builds on this. And you say, why does this matter? Verses 19 through 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So. What's the next word? Glorify. I'm giving you snippets of this in regards before we get there. So glorify God in your body. Why? Because God is in you. So the Holy Spirit's role is to bring what? Glory to God. Everybody see the connections? So we see clearly that we understand. And so here's the beauty in the Old Covenant. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. To be before the presence of God. And if he did not cleanse himself to be able to atone for his sins. If he walked in, according to the scriptures, he had bells upon his robe, and if the bells stopped jingling, they knew he would have died. And they'd drag him out with a rope that was attached to him. You and I, listen, the presence and the Greatness and the majesty of God has not changed. If He was to treat us in the same way that the high priest was treated, we'd all already be dead. Simply want to elevate you, understanding not that we can obtain perfection. None of us can. Amen? But what we aim for is to try to please Our great, wonderful God. But the beauty is, He's given Himself in us to help us. That's why Jesus said in John 14 and John 16, When I leave, I'm going to give you another helper to be with you. So all these things that I'm talking about is not to be done in your own power, but to be done by the power of God that's in us through the Holy Spirit. Number five, we need to move on. Certainly, the Holy Spirit is one. And certainly, we understand that the Holy Spirit is the one who is, can be grieved. And number three, certainly the Holy Spirit, we are commanded to be full of Him, like the fullness of God, the fullness of Jesus. And number four, as we just said, that we are to be filled with the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is the same as the glory of God in the Old Testament. Number five, the Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God. This one just simply should blow your mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Notice what Paul says here. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the who? The spirit of God. And you say, well, that's not too difficult to do. Are you kidding me? Do you remember what God himself has said in the Old Testament in regards to when he spoke to Job, when he spoke through Isaiah? These won't be on the screen, but let me just give them to you for your reading, just for the sake of our time. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 13 through, I think it's 15 and maybe even 16. As God was speaking through Isaiah, and he says, Who consulted to give God his knowledge? Job chapter 36, verses 22 through verses 23 says, Who has prescribed to God his way? Because remember the context, Job says, If I can just have an audience with God, I'm going to give him my peace of my mind. Oh, he got an audience with God. And then God gave him the peace of his mind. And that was his question. Just like this lengthy chapter that he begins to lay out for Job. Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job, where were you when I put the moon and the sun and the stars? Job, where were you when I dug the foundations of the deep? And it's in this long, lengthy passage as he asks Job, Job, who who prescribed my ways? Now you say, why is that so important? Because Paul says the Holy Spirit knows those things thoughts of God. Which means that the only way that someone could understand the thoughts of God would have to mean that the Holy Spirit has to be who? God. This is great for us. Because the Holy Spirit who lives in us is not just some tutor that's underneath the great superior intellects. We have God Himself. This is why, if you look at this passage of Scripture, you keep reading it. In verse 12 and 13, We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand things freely given us by God. The only way that you and I can understand the things of God is because God has placed Himself in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I say that to you, though, to say... We will not be able to understand everything about God. The book of Deuteronomy says there are certain things that are hidden from man. If you and I were to actually understand every element of God, I think it would be mind-blowing to us. Those questions like, I wonder why God didn't do A, B, C. I wonder why this is not happening, A, B, and C. It's because sometimes there's things that's too beyond our understanding or that we could actually handle it. He is great. The Holy Spirit. You say, why does this matter? Because when we sit before this book and we want to know him, God is going to reveal himself to us. Remember Jeremiah says, those who seek him with all his heart will what? Find him know Him, experience Him. We need to understand that the one that we have that's in us is wanting to reveal Himself to us. Let's move on. Number six. The one that is most clear and evident that we talk about even in our Discovering Redemption class is that the Holy Spirit is clearly called God Himself. Go back to the book of Acts. Continue to turn to your left from 1 Corinthians to Acts chapter 5. The context here is Ananias and Sapphira had sold some property. They said they were going to keep some of the things and then give some of the things. And then they lied in regards to what they said they were going to do. And in this passage of Scripture, we see clearly here, under the inspiration of the Spirit, as Luke wrote this book, that he equates interchangeably God for the Holy Spirit. I'll draw your attention to verse 3. It's going to be the word Holy Spirit. And I draw your attention to verse 4, where you'll see that he is called God. And now let's read all of it together. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Was it that you have contrived this deed in your hearts? You have not lied to men, but to who? To God. Now, I bring it back to your attention again. You can't grieve a force, and you can't lie to a force. The Holy Spirit himself, Paul, here in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is Recording what was said here clearly by Peter's own words. And who did he learn this from? Peter would have learned this from Jesus as his rabbi and teacher as well. Why does this matter? Why does it matter that we see here clearly this is just building one brick after another. Clearly we see that God himself is holding up high this element that he is a God that's not to be mocked. Actually, a very parallel example. I was sharing this with my family. I've shared this with some of you, actually, in the book of Leviticus. When the priesthood's first initial act was to take place, two young men, Nadab and Abihu, were supposed to be able to just stand by and watch Aaron offer the sacrifice before the Lord. Aaron does so. But then Nadab and Abihu offered un- Authorize fire before the Lord. This is the initial beginning of the priesthood. And you know what happens to Nadab and Abihu? They're struck dead immediately. The beginning of the priesthood. And now we have Acts chapter 5. The beginning and establishment of the church. And God's point is to say, I am a holy God. I am not going to be mocked. Because in that Leviticus passage, God says, I am holy. And among me, you, I will be sanctified. And among the people, I will be glorified. And basically, God says to Aaron, Aaron, don't worry about them any longer. What's the point? Again, what if God treated us this way every time? But I'm afraid, though, that we have dumbed down the majesty and the holiness of God, which lives to, I can live the way I want to live. But listen, the Bible is very clear that he's called us in 1 Peter, Be holy, for he is holy. does not mean perfection. Remember what Jesus said, actually, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is what? Perfect. Some of you are immediately checking out and say, psh, it's impossible for me, I'm done. The enemy wants us to live recklessly, aimlessly. To say, if I failed once, I'll just throw the towel in and I'll just live the way I want to live. That is a highway of crazy rebellion and consequences. The good news is, there is grace at the cross for the sinner The good news for the failure is that he is holy and he is patient towards those who are his children. This is why Hebrews tells us that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He disciplines us. He doesn't kill us instantly. I mean, we have the discipline of the Lord the nudging of God upon your life when you acted impatiently towards your spouse or you acted wrongly towards your children or you didn't act the right way towards your boss or your coworker, or the person that's checking you out at the store. It was a busy day. Your temper was short and you didn't live the way you needed to live. Imagine if God struck us every time. Customer service needed on aisle six, please. I don't know. I just dropped. What happened? He's rude to me and he just dropped Can you imagine a new department in every particular facility, the cleanup crew? But the Holy Spirit does speak, does he not, though, in those moments? Why? Because God is in us, and we are to live for the glory of God. How many of you have actually blown it before and had to go back and apologize to somebody before? Yeah. Those are hard moments. You don't want to do it, do you? But the Holy Spirit said, go back. I had somebody else to come talk to him. That don't work, does it? No, you're the person that has to go back and talk to him. The Holy Spirit clearly, clearly is called God. Let me give you one more. And then I want to ask another why all this matters. The Holy Spirit is described as omnipresent, just like God. Turn to Psalm 139. This is one example from the Old Testament. A little bit more to your left than you've been turning. You say, well, does the Bible actually say that God is omnipresent? Meaning He can be all places and all times? Certainly. Let me just give you one. It's not going to be on the screen, but Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13. It says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Where? Every place. Psalm 139. David, as he writes this, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. That's just amazing. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful to me. It is high; I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your what? Spirit. Who is he talking to to begin with, though? In verse one, oh. Lord, So he's equating the Spirit of God and the Lord Almighty as one and the same. Where can I go from your Spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Why does this matter? that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, it means, it matters in this. You can't leave the presence of God. Let me rephrase it this way. If you belong to Him, He won't leave you. He's with you in the thick, in the thin, in the hard, in the valley, in the mountain, in the sorrow, in the joy. Where can I flee from your presence? Nowhere. This is why Matthew 28, when Jesus says, I will be with you. How long? How long? Even to the end of the age. And how is he doing that? Through the power of the Spirit of God. This is the great, wonderful, awesome news. So the Shekinah glory that filled the temple and the cloud that covered the temple, it's a still presence of God. Who's with us? Or what Moses said to God, when God threatened to wipe them all out, he says, Lord, if you don't go with us, then we're we're not moving on. We need your presence to be with us, because Moses knew that he needed the presence of God for victory over enemies. He needed the presence of God for wisdom to lead the people. This is the wisdom and the spirit of God that lives in us. So even if you have friends who abandon you at some point in life, the Spirit of God will never leave us. These are seven biblical examples to prove to you that the Holy Spirit's in you is God. And we ask the question why it matters. Because, again, as I said at the beginning, the issue is not the source of power. The issue is our knowledge and our usage of the power that we have. So I want to illustrate this, and then I want to give you a couple of biblical Examples. Remember in Ephesians 3.20, he says it's the power at work within us. Our knowledge of the power sometimes is limited. We don't fully understand, but I'm trying to help you to understand who he is. Let me illustrate it this way. will show a picture. This is a nine-volt battery. Now, when I was a kid... We had a different way of testing that power. <laughs> I brought one in my pocket. Now I tested it this morning, my old way. It's dead. Before we had all those fancy battery testers that you put it on there and to be able to do this little reading, you know, we didn't have those. Hey, does that work? Uh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> right? That's nine volts. Now, you know nine volts, it can't run your house. What's it good for? Maybe like this mic pack that I have on. Maybe your flashlight. But that's about all. Now, if I thought, oh, man, I'm just going to buy a bunch of those, and I'm going to light up my house. Well, you're probably buying a whole lot of those suckers and connecting them together. But at some point, guess what's going to happen to that power source? It's going to die. My point is this. Our view of who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, impacts our belief in regards to what God is able to do. God is not a nine-volt battery. The source is powerful. Let me illustrate this with a power grid illustration. You at your house, if you look at the very bottom of your screen, you'll see a business and you'll see a house. And then we'll work Backwards. The voltage that is at your breaker box, the main power that's coming in, is usually like probably 220, 240. Our power that we have here at this building is what's called 208. And then it feeds this building. But that comes from another source. It comes from the power lines that feed into the house. Does anybody know why those are so high up in the air? It's because they are dangerous. The power lines, as you know, when there's a storm, we have experienced them. They're laying on the ground. And what do they say to you? Stay away from the lines. Why? Because the power line that's feeding from the pole to your house carries about, on average, about 13,000 volts or so. Now, I might be off a little bit. It changes up and down. There's someone here who works for the power company, I could bring him up on stage, but I won't embarrass him in that way. But it works back to a substation. That substation has been fed, and that substation is going to give more power as it comes to us. And then it works back from long distance transmissions lines. You see the tall tower in the very top. That's a long transmission line. Those volts that come from that can range from 155,000 to over 765,000 volts. And we have a 9 volt battery. But that comes back from the source. Whether it's a nuclear plant or a solar plant, they produce tons of energy. And then there's this, even a transformer that raises that power up to put it on the transmission line to get all the way to your house so you can plug in your little beautiful electronics or your little potpourri thing that you plug into the wall, boom, and it works. And some of you, when the power goes out, you're like, "Power's out. We you not want to get it back on. Are you kidding me? It's come from all this other stuff. Like we're so spoiled. Like the sun's coming through your window. Get a fan this way. You know what I'm saying? But the truth is, at some point, that power plant could die. The power is only good as its source. God himself, through the power of the Spirit, has given us far more than we can ask or think. Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, meaning he's far greater. So let me just blow your mind again. Far greater than these transmission lines is one strike of lightning. One strike of lightning compared to the 240 volts coming into your house, compared to the 13,000 the power lines, compared to the 155 to 765,000 volts on long transmission lines, a bolt of lightning can produce and hold up to 388 million volts in one strike. Do you remember what God said to Job? Where were you when I formed all these things? The Creator is greater than the creation. The Creator is greater than 388 million votes of power. When Paul says he's able, he means he's able. So we must live not like we have. A nuclear power plant, not like we have a lightning bolt, but we have God. That's who we have. This is why I said to you from the beginning that what we believe about God affects how we live for God and how we pray for God. When we pray believing this, it doesn't mean that it's like we rub a genie and God is obligated to answer just because we ask it. We trust that even in the asking that our God who has the power may choose to answer or choose not to grant what we're asking. Because He knows best. He has the power. So I want to show you, these will not be on the screen, but I just want to talk through just three biblical examples of the power of God in the Scriptures And this is what I'm wanting to get at when we say we're believing that God has the ability. I'll give you one from the very beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit was hovering over the waters. You say, why is that so important to understand? The Spirit is a part of creation And he can bring something out of nothing. So when Paul says, he's able. So when you're looking at your situation, you're looking at your marriage, you're looking at your children, you're looking at your jobs, whatever it is that's in front of you, when Paul says, he's able. It's all of Scripture that Paul is having as the background and the tapestry. He's understanding in Genesis when God created something out of nothing. That's greater than 377 million volts of power. Second example. 2 Chronicles 20. One of my favorite stories. I read this one to you. Talked about this one in regards to our month of prayer in the Word. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, has three armies coming against him Ammonites, Moabites, and Munites. And he is overwhelmed. He doesn't know what to do. So he stands before God, he proclaims a fast, and he says, God, we, we don't know what to do. And then God sends a message and says these words Stand firm, hold your position. And see the salvation of God. He's got three armies coming from all different directions. It's far greater than what his army is. It's overwhelming. It seems impossible. And what happens as they begin to go marching out to battle. The Bible says they begin to sing and praise the Lord as they march to war. They've not seen it yet. They know the battle's great, but they're trusting that God said, stand still and see the salvation of God. And they show up, they get to the hill, and all three armies have been laid low. They didn't have to raise one spear. God had caused confusion among the three opposing armies that they all attacked each other. And so they didn't know that. Listen, they didn't start praising after the fact, they started praising before the fact. Because they believed that God had the power to do what he said. That's greater than 377 volts of an electric bolt. One more. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus shows up on the shore. And there's a man that is known as Legion. He couldn't live among society. He was wrecked with demons. To the point where they controlled him so much that he hid in caves. He was away from society. When people would try to help him, he would break against all bonds and he lived alone. Jesus shows up and the demons, listen to me, the demons always know when Jesus shows up. He runs out of the cave. Jesus doesn't go to the cave. The demon runs out of the cave and says, what are you going to do with us? And Jesus commanded him to flee. And the legion begged to be cast into the pigs, and so Jesus granted that and cast him out. And then after that moment, it says, when the people showed up, that the man sat dressed and was in his right mind. Now, I challenge you with this. You say, well, if that, a legion means a thousand Well, he got thrown in. It says it went into 2,000 pigs. What's the point? This man lived bound. We're not told how long. But the society knew that he was hopeless. Didn't have the help. But Jesus shows up and he sets him free. That's when Paul says... Our God is able to do far more than we can ask or think. You may say, Pastor, I've been praying for years for this. Then keep on praying. Believe that God is able. Trust that He can set you free. You say, well, Pastor, those examples don't talk about the Spirit of God. That's exactly my point. Paul says there's one Spirit, one Lord. One God. Genesis 1 tells us that the Spirit is there. But Jehoshaphat doesn't tell us that the word Spirit is there. But if God is there, the Spirit of God is there. Mark chapter 9, we have the power of Jesus on display. I'm simply wanting you to understand when you see the great stories of the goodness and the power of God, then begin to believe this same power can work in you. The problem's not the source. We need to go back to what Jesus says in Mark 9. Remember the man who brought his child to Jesus? If you can do anything for him. And what did Jesus say? If I can, all things are possible for those who what? Believe. Believe. God is Abel Church. We have abundant power that I can't even put into words. I can't. I don't even want to stand up here and appeal to you to think that I have it all figured out. If I was to say that I have all of the greatness of God, it will contain within my mind, then God might have to give me an audience. No one can comprehend the greatness of God. I'm grateful that I have a God that's beyond human comprehension that I don't have confined in my little box. But you and I have a God we can trust. I don't really know what's in front of you. But my heart is that if you're wearing a facade that everything is okay, but inside you are crushed. If you're wearing a facade that everything is okay in your marriage... Everything is all right on the outside, but inwardly, just as a person, you are wrecked with fear, anxiety, depression, sadness, sorrow, and hopelessness. I want you to hear that the Holy Spirit, who is in you, if you are a believer, has the power to do more than we can ask or think. And whatever it is you're facing, you don't have to face it by yourself. We walk together as the body of believers in this room. If you think you don't have it together, and everybody else has it together, stop believing that lie. We are a room of people who've been redeemed by the grace of Christ, who walk in the power of Christ, and only can be able to do what He's called us to do by the power of the Spirit of God. But some of you in this room needed to be reminded today You've been praying to God like he's a nine-volt battery. I'm here to tell you, he's far more, far more. And some of you have not yet yielded your life to Jesus, and the enemy has portrayed the world as this beautiful power that you can give yourself to, and it's going to give you what you need. It pales in comparison to the whole power grid illustration I gave you. Because it will break down and fail every time. The world cannot promise, as Psalm 139, where can I flee from your presence? God's power on display. More abundant than we can ask or think. Let's believe it. Let's pray like it. And so in a moment, when we stand and as we'll sing a response, it may be your response might simply just need to be, Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, God, that you have given me unimaginable, abundant power. So even though I don't know what's in front of me tomorrow, I'm thankful that you're going to be with me. So this should at least result in praise. We should at least be thankful that God is not leaving us abandoned and alone some of us might be in this room to be able to say, Oh God, I, I have prayed like you're a 9-volt battery. Forgive me. I'm trusting that you are above all that I can ask or think. And forgive me for being impatient. But Lord, I'm laying this to you again. It's me again. I'm giving it to you. Listen. Listen. If Psalm 139 can say he knows our thoughts before we even say them. He knows your prayer. He knows your doubts. He knows your questions before you even verbalize them. So give him to him anyways. Lay it before the king because He's waiting for us to ask. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find And knock. Let's do some asking. Let's do some seeking. Let's do some knocking. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that You're not nine volts. Thank You that You are far more than we can ask or think. So Lord, our first response today as your children is simply to say thank you. Thank you that you have not given us secondary power, but you have given us primary power. You have given us yourself. There are those in this room, Lord, and those who are listening online today who may have been discouraged over time and have gotten distracted and lost their way of praying and living as though you are God in us. Thank you, Lord, that the call to do this comes through the power that you have given in us. So, Lord, I don't know what's in front of people, but Lord, I know, according to Psalm 139, you know their innermost being. And so, Lord, whatever your people here are struggling with or doubting or questioning, oh, Lord, may we lay it at the one who is above all things, who has all power to do what we cannot even begin to imagine. And, Lord, I pray for that individual or two or three in this room and those who are watching online who have not yet bowed their knee to acknowledge that you, Jesus, are the king. They've been bowing to the world in their own ways, and today through your work of your spirit in their own soul, you have awakened their need to be able to repent and believe. And so God, according to your word, Ephesians 1.13 says, Those who heard the gospel... Believe the gospel would be sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so, God, I pray today that there will be those in this room who would believe, trust in you, and thank you, God, based upon your promise that you would give them the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, now have your way in us in this moment as we sing. We praise you for being God in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we stand. There'll be people here to respond, to receive you. If you're online and you need to respond, there's a code there you can text as well, and we'll get back with you. But we're here for you today. If you need to pray, if you need to make an altar out of the stage, altar out of your chair, let's respond to the truth that God has given us today.